Elementary, my dear Watson. It's the Geek Confidential Podcast. Craig, it's just the two of us, at least until a little bit later when we're going to be joined by some friends of the podcast to discuss Sherlock. How was your Christmas holiday? Just the two of us. <laughs> yeah. Christmas, hol- Christmas holiday was was great. Nice, relaxing. All, all my family was visiting their in-laws, so I had the day to myself. Loved it. It's been a little bit of time since we had the last podcast. The last one that we had was ro- about Rogue One. Did you end up going to Assassin's Creed? Yes, passengers? I did go to Assassin's Creed. And what do you think? Assassin's Creed, some great visuals, some great ideas, very poorly Im- implemented. There's not enough action, not enough of those great leaping, falling, crazy scenes you see in the video games. Uh, the story was uninsp- uninspiring. I was not engaged. Um, there was this giant device where he where he's hooked up to and he's not even in the past which i hoped he was going to at least be in the past he's all doing this by memory so it completely took completely took me out of the moment and the story and i did not like it at all well the other movie that i was wanting to see over the holidays but i didn't get a chance to and in retrospect maybe that's a good thing was passengers with chris uh pratt what did you think of that one? Because I've heard that the reviews aren't that great, but at the same time, I tend to not pay attention when it comes to sci-fi and fantasy, so I was still thinking about going to it. If I had to trust Craig's word, should I go to it? No. <laughs> it's You know, there are some fine, fine moments. The visuals are really great, particularly outside the ship. In fact, it's a beautiful, amazing ship for base, apparently for just eight weeks out of a a trip of 90 years, but it's pretty illogical. It's pretty poorly thought out. There's this, the spoiler here, the ship sticks at about 30 years into a trip of 90 90, uh, light years. And Chris Pratt wakes up unexpectedly. The ship has got damaged by a, by a massive meteor shower. And he so powerfully lonely he does the most horrible thing in the world. He wakes someone else up that's in suspended a- animation. Both of them are, are stuck in suspended animation. They're supposed to spend less than 90 years, and they don't. They both end up woken up, and it's boring because it's just the two of them. There's not much of a love story going on, though there, it is there, and they end up having a relationship. But, of course, she finds out the truth, and she's horrified. And, of course, the audience, at me, is incredified that, how could he do this to somebody? He basically gave her a, a, a death sentence because she'll never reach the planet they were supposed to reach. And then they end up waking up Lawrence Fishburne, who's a, a deck chief. And oddly, they've got other members of the crew. I can't imagine they wouldn't wake them up and find out if there's some way they could handle the crisis. But no, they don't. Lawrence, and, and, uh, Lawrence Fishburne ends up dead. 
these these amateurs have nothing to do, no knowledge of the ship, are supposed to figure out what's going wrong with the ship. I can't believe that anyone thought this out at all before they made this movie. They just figured they had two stars, they'd put them in there, and people would come and watch it. But from a science fiction standpoint, it is really bad. From a love story standpoint, it's okay. I can see going in for that. But I wouldn't go, Luke. It's not worth it. Okay. Well, one movie that I had to see regardless because I've loved the franchise was Underworld Blood Wars. And I made sure I saw that opening weekend. Give us a quick synopsis on it. We're, we're a few years in the future, of course. Celine is, is outcast from the vampire universe. She's being hunted down by the lichens. She's being hunted by the vampires. Everybody wants her. The uh, lichens want to capture her and get her blood and also to find find her daughter who's in hiding somewhere. She doesn't even know where he is. Well, she gets attacked by the lichens. David, uh, who's the, uh, Theo James, she's, of course, Celine. He's uh, David, Theo James is, finds her, saves her from these these lichens, and they, they kill them all. And then they're then they're found by by the vampires who want to bring her back and make her a a warrior trainer to train the new uh, the new death squads. And so they bring her back, and of course all hell breaks loose. And the, the Lycans are led by uh, Toby Menzies, who's who's Marius. That's the leader. And he's on. He's also he also plays a villain on Outlander, though I think he's better as an out a villain on Outlander than he was in this one. He would have to be. Uh, <laughs> Not real, not real pleased with him. There are a couple good moments in the film, and we'll talk about that. I am a sucker for this franchise. I will just admit that up front. I had a lot of fun with this. I thought the action was good. I did. Th- I was surprised because Tobias as uh, Marius was the weak link for me, but it wasn't his acting per se. It was that I thought that the the lichen. CGI was so bad in previous films when they've done lichens they've been pretty cool with the CGI but he when they tried to do the whole human head on a lichen body it just didn't work this time but I actually thought that this was fun there was lots of European style courtly intrigue the vampires i mean they're they're facing imminent threat from the lichens and they throw a party uh, is there anything unsurprising about a european nobility quote unquote doing something like that i love the vampire clan that's up in norway somewhere in this really ancient castle i had fun with that kate beckinsale kicks ass as always i like her chemistry with theo james he did he did a good job again it'll be interesting to see what happens if they make another movie and how much of a role either of those two characters will be because they hinted at basically if they do something with the next franchise the way the film ended it looked like it may be more of an emphasis on her daughter what did you think i cannot imagine beings that have survived for admittedly at least 1500 years are can be so stupid they for example celine is tricked into not tricked into she's invited into a cage um with a gentleman who's who is part of the group that she has been running from forever and doesn't suspect 
that there might be some treachery. And so she gets in the she gets in the cage. He, of course, betrays her and slashes her with something horrible. And uh, and she Wolf ends up Spain. If I'm not wasn't it Wolf, Wolf Spain? Spain? Yes. So she's lying on the floor, and of course they're going to set her up and make her look like the bad person, which and they planned it all along. So th- she, supposed to be one of the greatest warriors of all time, doesn't even notice that he's got a knife on him, or that he, or when, or that he may actually be planning some treachery. I, I couldn't. It threw me completely out of the film. And from then on, all I could pick up were all the stupid things they did. They've got they've got lichens uh, shooting through. Breaking in, having many of them breaking into the castle, which does not have any arrow slits or any way, any way to protect the lichens inside. Except, oh, excuse me, the vampires inside doesn't have any way to protect the vampires inside, except them standing on the stairs, vulnerable to the lichens who've broken in, who are shooting them with UV bullets. Now, I'm sorry, this is, castle is supposed to stood for 1,500 years. Just to clarify, because there were two castles, are you referring to the one in Norway? Or the one in France. Well, both of them, but the one in France, these people are supposed to be pretty smart. They're supposed to be warriors, and yet they have no way to to hide from these people that are killing killing them en masse. And of course, as soon as the lichens break in, instead of shooting well, through the windows from the outside and exposing the inside to light, they wait until they get in and and fifty of them are dead before they start shooting holes in the window to expose the vampires to light. I thought I'm sitting here thinking. How dumb could these warriors be? Shoot the windows out before you go in, or if, if once once they break in, the vampires have got to go down in the dark because the windows have been shut out. So why stand in plain view for the lichens to shoot them? I just found the movie so stupid that the moments that you mentioned, the, the chemistry between, between David and Celine I thought was great, but there are so many times when stupid things are going on or... Uh, a, an immensely powerful creature gets ripped apart by something that couldn't possibly rip him apart. In the end, where Celine rips out the the backbone of, of a creature that should be so powerful, she could never do that. I, oh, come on. You liked it when that happened on yes, True Blood. Yes, but he did that to a human. The, the powerful vampire did it to a human. That's great. But to for a, a vampire who's less powerful than the, the creature she's fighting... I mean, he could have killed her about 16 times before before she did that. But and he's he's beating her to hell and back. I mean, you got vampires dying from a simple slice at the throat kills a vampire in, in one scene, and yet she's getting beat to hell and gone. He doesn't stab her, doesn't doesn't kill her. She ends up getting behind him and pulling out his backbone. I thought, how stupid is this? How could anybody believe any of these things that are going on? It it was clearly poorly written. It isn't nearly as 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 interesting or as engaging as the earlier the earlier films. Uh, the action scenes were fine. The CGI, like you said, was weak. I don't know. They went low budget on it. Uh, the story, I thought. Uh, heck, the, the what's the name of the guy who's the father uh, in um, Game Charles of Charles Dance? Charles Dance. He ends up in a battle with this 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 gal. He's older than she is. He's smarter than she is. He should be a better fighter than she is. She kills him once again through treachery. He didn't. He's standing there and she's stabbing him to death. And I'm thinking vampires shouldn't be dying this easily. They never have in any other of these films. And 
he should have. That was vampire and on vampire crime vamp- versus vampire on liking crime. Right. No, I'm talking so, about. So and they're both and they're both using swords. This is not so, the first I mean, time that vampires have killed vampires in this series. And he's no, but I'm saying what I'm saying is this series is established I weapons as the the mitigating factor in vampire on vi- vampire yes. battles. But he he turns his back to her and of course she stabs him. Gee, it just seemed like this thing could have been done so much better. It had it had the elements, but I found it I found it to be full of illogic. I found it to be uh, in some pl- in some places even to the point of being silly. And I'm going to give. So you're it, not going to give it a five out of a five. I'm giving it a one out of five, uh, for some great some great action scenes, but that's it. I will, as I readily admit, this is just one of those franchises that I pretty much love. The only thing that I the only one that I haven't was the prequel, which I thought was awful. It's not a great movie, but it was still more fun for me than Batman versus Superman and Suicide Squad. So by that benchmark, I could give it a three. <laughs> okay. That, that, well, you love it. You you just really get into this series and you only gave it a three. Oh, I have always loved this series, but I must admit, I mean, I have to admit and recognize when there are problems. Indeed. Indeed. And you don't look things you don't look at things as a critic. You look at it as very subjective. What how you feel through the movie. And I love you for that. It's you just it's your feelings that tell you how, what to rate it. <laughs> well, speaking of feelings, we had some requests from listeners. And if you want to uh, ever ask us to um, discuss something, hit us up at, at Twitter on Twitter at twitter.com slash GK Confidential. Tweet us and we will try and incorporate it into the show but we had several requests for topics of which i know you are a fan let's talk a little bit about westworld uh we didn't really discuss it much in at the end of 2016 it was touched on a little in our um best and worst though not very many people mentioned it on included it anywhere on their list i watched the first four episodes and was really bored and then after the fourth episode i saw a season long trail or like a trailer for the entire season and i was like okay i'll keep watching it but i never got back to it and i let my and i was so not interested in it i let my hbo um now app <laughs> subscription <laughs> expire that's how much it intrigued me to keep watching the rest of the season now supposedly from everything i've read it had a great season finale but it for me it just wasn't gripping. Now I know that you really enjoyed the, the series. Yes. What did you think of the season? Well, first of all, I love the the movie Westworld. Yul Brenner stars in Westworld. It's 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 rich in possibilities, and of course they did a Future World, and it, uh, so they, there was more than one movie involved in the original series of movies, and be, and it's of course a world developed. For entertainment for all the rich, uh, rich people on the planets that have nothing better to do than to go and experience uh, basically a fantasy West camp, and so they come to this world and they get all the experiences they want, whether it's whether it's um, sleeping with some gorgeous android or going out and shooting one of the the big bad baddies that they have uh, all through the camp. It's like a big a big theme park based around the West and the Westerns. And, and you can join the cavalry. You can 
You can fight Indians. You can pretty much do whatever you want to in this big West world. And it's slow to develop, but it's so rich in character that if you like character driven TV shows or this one is great because you, I fell in love with the androids, uh, particularly, um, See, that's what took me out of it. First of all, James Marsden, who I will pretty much watch anything he's in, even if it's awful, because I enjoyed him that much as Cyclops. I had no desire to see him killed in every episode. <laughs> and by the fourth time, I was just like, no. I had a really difficult time connecting with the androids themselves. The only one that I remotely became intrigued with was the madam and the i think the last episode i watched was the one where she's waking up and remembering things and they have to take her in for servicing and that's not any type of sexual innuendo oh Um, she's a madam exactly (laughs) and so i just i wasn't i didn't connect with the androids I wasn't particularly enthused with the inter-office politics of the corporation that's, like, responsible for Westworld. The Man in the Black Hat was about the most interesting thing on the show, but I really got tired of him slitting people's throats and scalping people's heads really fast. And so for me, it was like, there's there's just not a lot for me to, like, care about. Now, to be clear, though, He's none of these people are actually dying. The people that Luke talks about are all androids. So when he's slitting people's throats, he's not even slitting people's throats. He's but that's my point. I just like he he is, but those people come back and are reset the next day a lot of times, and it's just like why am I watching a recycled these recycled characters over and over and over? It just. I had a I had a lot of difficulty with Westworld. Understood. But why did you connect to the androids? Because obviously I well didn't. I don't know. You like the Muppets. I don't know why you can't connect to to the androids. I know you connected with the They're, Muppets, uh, but that has childhood connotations <laughs> involved. Understood. Well, these are basically it's basically the same thing. I love Evan Rachel Wood in this. And I've never seen Fro- I've never seen Kermit scalp Miss. Oh, no, that's true. Well, you've not been watching the right websites. Um, Evan Rachel Wood plays Dolores Abernathy. She's one of the main android characters, and she's amazing in this role. She is terrific. I fell in love with her almost almost immediately. And of course, she is her the acting in this is uh, is fascinating because these characters have to experience over and over again the same feelings only under different circumstance. Uh, and so to watch them shift and change and and grow through this these roles, and they're becoming self-aware, and that's what makes this so fascinating. When these care, when these androids are becoming self-aware and starting to realize that what's happening to them is wrong, or they change, like James Marsden. I know you like him. Uh, he changes from from a, a kind of a simple cowboy type who's a heroic to uh, a dark-sided character where. He's done some really bad things in the past, and these are all things they've actually done through changes in their their programming and changes in their behavior. For some reason, the memories stay around, which is pretty typical for computers. The memories still stay around, but they start remembering some of the things they've done in their in their 
Android. I keep feeling like the this whole this whole show would just be negated with a giant magnet. <laughs> well, an EMP maybe, a electromagnetic pulse. Either one. But- Either one. I mean, just run a big old magnet across them, and the whole series collapses. Wow, that you that shallow, shallow are you? <laughs> well, I'm about to get more shallow on the topic because I want you to tell me what the big, like, shocking reveal in the final episode was. That way, I don't have to watch the remaining episodes, and I can just tune in next season to, because I've heard a little bit about you it. You really want me to tell you I, the spoiler, do you? Yes. Because that way I don't have to worry about watching it. I have 140 hours worth of television on my DVR. Getting to what, getting to Westworld when I didn't couldn't make it past episode four or whatever it was is not going to be on high on my priority one list. One of the best actors out there who's got very little recognition so far is uh, is Jeffrey Wright. He's a wonderful actor. He's, I, he was he was one of the characters in Hunger Games. If you remember that uh, the black character in Hunger Games yep. was brilliant. Uh, he is through the through the first through the first part of the the story. He's having sex with uh, this this other halfway turns out not to be a major character later. Halfway major character in the beginning turns out, and he's having sex with her, and he's he's taking care of the androids. He's adjusting them. He's he's uh, talking to them, and he's relating to them. We find out he is an android himself. That is the made the big reveal that he's really an android. And he has to deal with the fact that now he knows he's not, quote, real, unquote. He is, he's also one of these puppets. And it's absolutely stunning. It was stunning when I saw it. it there's so much going on in this series. And, of course, uh, the man in black, Ed Harris, is trying to hunt down um, where the core of this whole organization is. And as these uh, androids are awakening, of course, they're throwing roadblocks in his way. And... I'm telling you, it's got some of the best elements of old westerns. It's got some really good science fiction elements, and it just—it's developing slowly. They've taken their great care in making sure this nothing happens in this film too quickly and too startlingly. But you get keep keep getting these little bitty reveals until you get, once in a while you get a big one like the the Jeffrey Wright uh, being an android. And so um, the more I see it. It does. It starts out slow, but the more I see it, the more I watch it, the more powerful it becomes. And I can't wait for the next season. I think I think we all know I was I'm not a big I you know I'm not really anticipating or uh, hurriedly waiting Game of Thrones next year because I didn't really appreciate it this last year. First year I could say that about this one. I am definitely waiting for heresy. I know heresy. Uh, well, Sansa, one of my least favorite characters, is now on the rise. And so not a good thing for me. But in this one, I just can't wait for the next season. Can't see, wait to see what happens next and where it's going. So they did a great job. This is one of the best, call it a port or call it a, a transformation from movie to TV. This is one of the best I've ever seen. Let's talk a little bit about Emerald City, which premiered on NBC. Um, this is a Wizard of Oz adaptation, which is fairly dark. Um, fairly, anybody fairly dark. Anybody who has listened to um, Geek Confidential, because I think it's been mentioned, but I know it's been mentioned on Pop Confidential. I am not a Wizard of Oz fan, have never been a fan of it, but I really enjoyed this series. Oh my God. <laughs> I thought 
I thought that they did they had better CGI in Emerald uh, City than they did in Underworld. Yeah. Um, I thought that the I I liked the concept of the witches and how that was all established. I appreciated um, Adria and uh, forgive me because I'm not going to know how to pronounce the last name Arjona as Dorothy. Um, I wasn't exactly sure which character Lucas is supposed to be from the adaptation. They had chemistry, so I was willing to go with it. Vincent D'Onofrio, who we know I love from Daredevil and need to have back in in, in a larger role in Daredevil, is in this as the wizard. Gina Bellman, who I have loved since Coupling and who is on Leverage, was in it, which was fantastic. I will watch pretty much anything that she is in. Then on, t- on top of all of that, we had Glinda, who was portrayed by Jolie Richardson, who I've loved on Nip Tuck when Nip Tuck was on. She plays Glinda. It was fa- I-, I love the casting in this. Some of the story was a little bit... I didn't expect what I got, but at the same time, I started com- thinking to myself, if I compare this against Once Upon a Time, if I compare this against Grimm... I mean, Grimm and Once Upon a Time premiered at the same season. Both have been on now on their respective networks for a long time. One is more of a, a personal story, a local story. The other one is a bigger story. This one seemed to me a little bit more like Once Upon a Time, but I actually thought that the villains in this one are much better, potentially, than Once Upon a Time, at least in the pilot. Now, we'll see how the rest of the season progresses, but... I'm going to watch it. I'll watch all 10 episodes. What did you think? I I am in agony watching this. <laughs> I love the Wizard of Oz books back in the day. I, I love, obviously, the Wizard of Oz movie. Anyone who knows me knows that I think it's amazing. It's incredible. It's dark enough. I, I can't. I mean, this is painful. This, this TV show is painful. It hurts to watch it. Toto is now a a large German shepherd, for example. This tiny little dog. You realize that this is an adaptation. Yes, it's an adaptation and a and an evil one. I uh, Lucas, I believe, is supposed to be the scarecrow. He's the one up on the po- hanging up on the post. So obviously, he's the scarecrow. That's the one Dorothy always meets first in the um, any former adaptation a recreation of w- the wizard of oz so i i can't hardly even watch the wizard because he's so much different than what i've i would ever expect to be the munchkins are very large weird native indigenous type peoples it, it just it makes it, it gives me no sense of joy no sense of fun no sense that i would ever want to watch you realize this is supposed to be a dark one it's dark not supposed is fine. to be joy and sense of dark fun. is fine i don't mind dark if they'd made it dark but but they've taken the munchkins the the small people they were made small for a reason and they turned them into some kind of indigenous peoples that are dirty and kind of nasty looking and um and much of it seems melodrama to me where they're overacting when I watch the the witches, they they're just so much as bad as it was in the original t- movie with uh, with uh, uh, Judy Garland. This is far worse. They seem to be just way over the top in their in their performance, and may, maybe okay. this will get better. But I'm 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 in I'm in, I'm sorry I'm in agony. 
Well, I went and asked on Twitter, uh, listeners, for their thoughts on it. Mouthy Soap Fan 93 wrote, uh, Emerald City was a pleasant surprise. I'll definitely continue to watch. Shadow Hunters, Shadow Hunters, uh, which we're going to get to it a little bit, they put a gif on of Viola Davis from How to Get Away with Murder Rolling Her Eyes. Dr. Mo, who, Mo Walker, who wrote our year-end comic uh, piece on at Geek Confidential, if you haven't checked that out, you should definitely go. Um, he rates what he considers to be the must-read comics of 2016. Um, he said, Emerald City was visually stunning, but the show needs to do a better job announcing non-main character names. And then 18 Christopher replied, I watched Emerald City this morning and I loved it. Fiona Shaw makes anything great. So there's a little bit of the feedback that we had. Like I said, you can tweet us. I'm going to be, before the, we record podcasts, I'm going to be asking people for topics that they want us to discuss and feedback on recent shows. One of our listeners asked us to discuss uh, High Castle, Man in the High Castle. You've been, tried, you've been trying to convince me to watch this for a very long time. I am sort of intrigued by the premise. It's not to say that I'm opposed to watching. It's just that I watch a lot of television and Amazon shows for me thus far. Just they're just not as easy and convenient to watch as say Netflix shows. And I watch since I watch a lot of television, I haven't gotten to it, but I know that you love yeah. it. So what do you love about the new season of um, Man from High Castle, which just returned? Well, actually, I'm really enjoying it because the first season I thought was was extremely powerful, very open, very honest, very revealing. It is, of course, a story, an alternate future, or alternate history, I should say. It's about our time period, but it's an alternate history. And they've taken a lot of the old Nazi ideas and brought them forward. A half of the country is, uh, three-quarters of the country is Nazi. Uh, another, uh, less than a quarter is Japanese. And there's this section that's kind of no man's land in the middle. But uh, they've done, they did such a good job of powerful casting uh, powerful performances and really getting getting me engaged and so many other people that, uh, you know, that's what I expected for the second season. Well, they took a step back. It's kind of minimalist so far as I'm watching. I haven't gone to watch the, every episode yet, but so far I, I'm just really engaged. And now they're taking a little more time to let me see what the, makes the characters tick. Uh, let them let me feel what they're going through, kind of like the Westworld. They're taking it slow and easy. So they've got me hooked, completely and totally hooked, and I'm just loving the fact that now I'm getting to understand each individual character a little better and watching these these wonderful Japanese performers uh, bring that whole idea to life. Rufus Sewell, of course, is in this, and he's just wonderful in about anything he does. And so he's the main uh, Nazi character that we see. And once again, he's he's dealing with with this, the world that is now United States in Nazi hands. And I love seeing how he walks this fine line of not going too far, not hurting people too much, and yet serving his, quote, Nazi masters, unquote. So, yeah, I think this is just a, a terrific show, and it's only going to get better. If you like alternate histories, if you like to think what would have happened if Nazis had won the war and the Japanese had won the Pacific, this is just a great show to watch. And I, I can't imagine it's just not going to keep developing and developing over time. They just don't, they haven't rushed it. And I think that's a good thing. Now I want to discuss a show that is painful for me, <laughs> which is shadow hunters. <laughs> yeah. Cause Craig, you know how much I love the mortal instrument books. 
I've read them. I love the characters. I recommended to them to you. You read the books. You enjoyed them. When the first season of Shadowhunters came out, it was so awful that it has made the list for my worst shows of 2016 that I'm working on for Geek Confidential that I'm hopefully going to finish up tonight. Because the two leads, the acting was they were, their acting was just terrible. The CGI was not good. It was almost as if there was too much of it. And because of it, they wasted their budget trying to insert too much CGI instead of using the budget to just make a few better scenes. And the dialogue was some of the most painful dialogue of 2016. I mean, it was unbearable. But I kept watching it because it's the Mortal Instruments and the movie was bad. And so I was, I'm like, I've got to stick with this. There's The supporting cast is all is portrayed by actors who I find enjoyable. I think they do a good job. Uh, Isabel, Alec, Magnus, those are all good characters. Si Simon, the, the actors who portray those four characters do a good job. It's just that Jace and Clary are so terribly cast and yes. have so bad, such bad dialogue. I can't stand it. So this last week, season two premiered. And because I'm a glutton for punishment, I had, I had left it on my DVR. Now, the first season showrunners exited over the summer. So there are new showrunners responsible for the show. And you could see the there are improvements. Now, when the bar has been set so low, anywhere you go is up. <laughs> but... The CGI problem seemed to have been remedied in the first episode. We'll see how the rest of the season goes. The interaction between the supporting characters still seems good. One of the better things about the, at least the premiere was that Jace and Clary were kept separate because Jace, when he's separate from Clary, is sort of okay. But when he's with her, their dialogue is just really bad, and I don't think they have an ounce of chemistry. Clary has... I just don't know what it's going to take to make her an engaging lead on the show. But there was improvement. So now I'm like, do I need to take and keep watching this terrible show, which I love from the books, because there's a possibility of improvement... Or should I try and find something better to watch? And I can't bring myself to do it because I love the book so much. Did you watch the season premiere at all yeah, of Shadowhunters? And did you see did you see the improvement even though it was like the bar was set low? It's like sands in an hourglass. So are the days of our lives. It's like that slow. I just see the changes. You're right. They're they're changes. They are very slow. And I'm just hoping that it it manages to find some find some ground I, I still i cannot get over the fact that clary doesn't look sound or act anything like the clary in the book i did love the books a lot one of the best young adult series in years uh I, at, at least, least the last, last decade, decade. yeah absolutely at least. one of the best in, in a long time and so the characters are so engaging in the book and i expected them to be to catch me up and get me involved in their their story, their relationships, their back and forth, not there. And uh, it looks like it ought to be good. <laughs> I'm just not, I'm just not enjoying it much. But yeah, this this year could actually get better. But do you, do you really want to waste your time? There's so many things out there to watch and so many good things to watch. I don't know if I want to waste my time with it. Be 
But see, I like Simon, and I like Alec, and I like Magnus, and I like Isabel, and I'm like, that's that a, is lot a lot of likes. likes. I, I can't make myself stop because even though the two leads are so bad, I, I'm still so engaged when the other characters are on separately. What's happening with Simon is fun to see, and the actor who portrays him makes his multiple conflicts so interesting to watch. Alec and Magnus, their relationship for what it is and where it's going and growing is interesting. And I want to see Isabel get some happiness, which she hasn't really had yet. So I can't really force, well, tear no. myself away, even though I probably You know me, should. I'm still watching. As much as I hate Fear of the Walking Dead. Fear of the Walking Dead? So and I'm watching Z Nation, which is really bad. I'm still watching those because <laughs> I just can't believe they can't get something going on in them. So... But because you have so much fun, yeah, with them exactly. Being so I can bad. tell everybody how bad they are. Well, yeah, I would love for Shadowhunter season two to be Legends of Tomorrow season two because Legends of Tomorrow season one was terrible. Legend season two so far has been a fun romp. So there is, there are opportunities and improvements do happen in second seasons. Let's just mm -hmm. hope they do. In a little bit of uh, casting crossover news from the Daytime Confidential Podcast and the Geek Confidential Podcast, Brandon Barash, who was on General Hospital as Johnny Sakara for years, who is a very engaging actor, very talented, has been cast in Timeless, and he's going to be playing Ernst, Ooh, Ernest nice. Hemingway. So I'm really looking forward to that because he is one of my favorite actors on that show. I actually have wanted him to go back to General Hospital for a while because his character Johnny is very needed on the canvas, but I'm willing to cut him a break if he's going to end up being on Timeless. So we'll see what happens there. After Shadowhunters on AB, or ABC Family Free, what is what was once ABC Family now Freeform, premiered a new show called Beyond, and because of freeform slash ABC family's track record. I didn't have high expectations, but I really enjoyed this series. It's about a boy who is put into a coma under mysterious circumstances when he's like seven or eight, somewhere in there. And he's in the coma for 12 years. And when he wakes up, he has powers, but he doesn't remember anything. And he has no clue how he got the powers. And he has to go, uh, he now has to adjust to his life and where his younger brother, who's now in college, knows more about life than he does and has to teach his younger brother how to drive and takes him to his first college par drinking party. His parents, who have had to deal with the fact that their son is in a coma, now have to try and see what the best way is that they can bring him like reacclimate him into society there's a mysterious woman who uh warns him not to trust anybody one of those people who he shouldn't be trusting was his childhood best friend who's now a teacher who's been spying on him for another guy who's a man in the yellow jacket and the yellow jacket incidentally if i wasn't a conspiracy theorist I would say was stolen from the Dirk Gently Holistic Detective <laughs> Agency set because it's the exact same jacket. But there is this secret organization that the man in the yellow jacket works for 
who has been tracking his progress and now that he's awake and Holden is basically faced with coming to terms with his powers, how to react to his family and this mysterious woman. I really enjoyed it. I really did. I was surprised. I would actually recommend it. If you're looking for, for something that is an enjoyable young adult sci-fi ish, because there's also some fantasy elements in their series. It's the first one on Freeform that I can recommend because this is a show that I would expect to be on the CW and do really well, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. So if you have an opportunity, definitely check that out. Now joining me are friends of the podcast, Dwayne and Casey Eckholm. Welcome, Dwayne and Casey. Glad to have you on. Good to be here, Luke. Yeah, thanks for having us. Well, let's talk a little bit about Sherlock because it gave us a New Year's Day present on PBS. Lots of twists and turns. Casey, I saw your reaction on Twitter and I was like, I need to get my friend Casey on the podcast to discuss Sherlock. What was your first quick impression of the episode before we dive into the details? Why is John always screwed over? That was like my whole thought. Poor John. And then a little bit of frustration that uh, I felt like some of the things that happened in the the episode was a little uncharacteristic of John. Um, But overall, just kind of like, just kind of saddened for John, really. That uncharacteristic part is the part that had me scratching my head. So I may need clarification later. Dwayne, what were your first impressions of it? It was like riding the bike. It was amazing to me that, you know, even with as long a break as we had had since the last time we saw these characters, it felt just like every other episode. And I mean, you know, the Sherlock being quick witted and, you know, John doing what he does and all the kind of supporting cast. And it was just it was it was like picking up a good book that you haven't been reading in a while and just diving right into it again. It was just so great to see the characters and, and the story was excellent as always. And it was, it was just, just a perfect treat to have on new year's day. Would that book by chance be a Sherlock Holmes book? (laughs) It could be, it could be. (laughs) Okay. Craig, what did you think? Well, Watson, Historically, in the original series and TV sh- TV shows and movies, always tends to get the short end of the stick. It's always his his place to kind of get it in the sh- take it in the short. So, I was not surprised. For me, it was an episode where, like Dwayne said, it was like riding a bike. It was like everything was familiar. It gives me a warm, fuzzy feeling to start off the season. And then the episode ends with the cliffhanger and spoiler alert, because of course we're going to be discussing it. Watson's wife dies. Now it took us a while to get to that point. The six Thatchers, which was the title of the episode started out with a mystery. Well, two sort of two mysteries. First, there's the one in Sherlock's head where he's convinced that Moriarty has some big plan that is still going to unfold post death. And then they also have to solve the case of a boy who dies in his parents driveway and is found a week later casey what do you think of that initial 
plot and what did you think of Sherlock's fascination with Moriarty? Well, the fascination, I, you know, it's definitely one of those things that um, I did, I, I do think that something will happen in regards to Moriarty. I think that Sherlock is correct. Um, but I had a sinking suspicion that this was not going to be the episode where anything would happen. That would be, be that thing that kind of just is right there picking at him the whole time. Um, but that we wouldn't, it wouldn't end up being anything about it, which is, is a lot of what happened. Um, the, the part with the, the boy and, and the car, it was amazing how it was like, Oh, this is done. It was just like over. It was like, he just figured it all out. And I'm like, it's the beginning of the episode. What the hell are we going to be watching for the rest of the episode? I, it was amazing how they just tied that all together. And, you know, you just flip from one and onto the other. It was a one-two punch, Dwayne. And like Casey said, that wrapped up so fast, all because of a of how Thatcher memorabilia was organized. And we were off to... We were off to the races with the with the big mystery, which was why this Thatcher memorabilia was important. And it turns out that it was because of the fact that Mary, back in the day, had been a special amongst a special ops team that had a mission go bad, and she thought she was the only survivor, and it turns out she's not. What did you think of how that evolved, Dwayne? It was amazing how it went from this simple... Margaret Thatcher's statue being busted to there being these six statues and each of them getting uh, busted and what could they have in common and and them uh, him finally tracking down the the last one right is the the uh, old cohort of, of Mary's AJ ends up finding it as well and then we find out that the reason the statues or being busted was because of the thumb drive that was hidden inside one of them, which I mean, it, it the, the thing about this show is, is how great is these little details and, and how they're able to weave a story with just these little details and, and make it, you know, come together so, so eloquently. And, and yeah, you'd, he had no idea why Sherlock is so fascinated at this boy's house about this this these these rel- memorabilia of Margaret Thatcher and this missing Thatcher statue and then all of a sudden that became this big focal point going forward to these other statues that were getting busted and and all this sort of thing it, it seemed completely arbitrary at the time but then in retrospect as the story moved along it 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 made so much sense which is just crazy to me and it was a great callback because the USB drive was identical to the one that she had given Watson before they got married, and he chose not to learn about her past. But it turns out, Craig, that it's in a Margaret Thatcher bust, and her uh, team member, who she believed dead, wasn't, and now wants to kill Mary. Except for he wasn't the person who ended up killing her. What did you think of the <laughs> What did you think of the thought before we get to her death? Well, I, you know, Margaret Thatcher always had a nice bust, so I gotta say that uh, I expected it. Dear God. <laughs> I I thought it was I thought it was clever and a little unusual and like uh, uh, 
like was already said, that it's all the little, I would say not just eloquent, but elegant touches that make this such a, such a good, uh, a good watch. So they investigate it. We end up romping across the world because Mary is going to try and protect Watson. And she, so she goes and to all these different places um, to sw and switches identities randomly, which I really liked the sequence of how they had her change the identity. The, the, the airplane scenes were particularly humorous for me and how that played out. But she ends up in the Middle East and she arrives at her destination, and Sherlock and Watson are there for her. Casey, what did you what did you think of that? When she walks in and you hear Sherlock talking, and you're just like, of course he did. You know, of course he knew where she was going, or of course he figured it out. Um, that was kind of, like, obvious. Um, and then that big, huge lie that he tells her about how we figured it out and da, 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 da. And, and then they're like, well, we just looked at the thumb drive and then Watson is there. And I was just like, oh, and he followed her and now they're going to have like a little bit of a, you know, like be, you know, talk to me, be honest sort of thing, which was kind of, kind of interesting. But then AJ shows up and, uh. And everything. I, I, I love that little part. I, I liked how they interacted that. Um, and because Sherlock and Mary seem so similar, more so than Sherlock and Watson. So that, that kind of triangle is always wonderful to, to see and to get to be a part of. One of the things that I found interesting about this episode was how it intertwined Mycroft and Lady Smallwood. Now, Lindsay Duncan is an actress who whenever I see her in anything, even though I don't know her name off the top of my head, I always think, uh-oh, she's a bad guy in some way, shape, or form. And for a moment, this episode played up that. Um, they ha Lady Smallwood was arrested because they um, it was believed that she was behind the botched mission. Turns out she wasn't. Uh, we end up at a giant fish tank and the little re lady who does the recording, like a court recorder, but for the government, for the com highly classified conversations is there. And it turns out that she was the person responsible for the botched mission. Did any of you guys see that coming? Craig, Dwayne, Casey, feel free to jump in whenever. Did any of you guys see that one coming? I didn't. I actually did. Oh, um, seriously. So now, when, I, now I feel like an idiot. I shouldn't she, ask she the did, question. She did. I can I can vouch for her. She did. So when they, so obviously I wasn't able to connect the dots between like um, ammo and her. Obviously, that's there's background information that we don't know. Um, but right then, when when she when Lady Smallwood is trying to access um, the door on that bridgeway that they're on, and they've blocked her access. Right then, when they kind of pan the camera back, the secretary is there in the background. And I was like, it's her. She's the one that has caused all this. Because at the beginning of the episode, Sherlock's interacting with her in which he would have never interacted with her. Um, the way that he was acting uncharacteristically at the beginning, he was only just chit-chatting with her because, you know, he's losing his mind. And then, you know, 
it's like, oh, she's she's an important piece to this. Everything that you see in the show is always an important piece. And so right then I was like, it's her. I didn't know how, but yeah. Well, you are more observant. You are a better Sherlock protege than I, Casey. <laughs> Craig, did you? I, I didn't see it did you pick it up at all, Craig? Yeah, I was a little late, a little later than she was in picking it up. But I, I saw that's where it was headed, and and figured that uh, um, that was the way it was set up to be. So, but she's a better Sherlock than me too. When we get to that scene, she pulls out a gun. Sherlock is there. Mary is there. Everybody is there except for Watson. He arrives a little bit later. And she pulls the gun. She goes to shoot Sherlock. And Mary jumps in front of him, takes the bullet, and dies as Watson is arriving. And we get... I shouldn't be laughing at this, but I am. But we get a scene. Luke, in, we we get a scene in which Watson is Watson is like holding his dying slash dead wife, and making these terrible crying sounds. And on Twitter, someone goes, "So that's what a hobbit sounds like when they're crying." And I was like, "Oh my god!" I couldn't help because I because I saw that tweet before I watched the episode, and I didn't know the context. And so when I got to when I got to that point in the episode, I just burst out laughing because I was like, "Oh, so that is what a hobbit sounds like when they cry." <laughs> what did you, you think? Terrible person. It is terrible. It is, but it's also funny. Casey, what did you think of her pa- passing in his morning? Um, I would say that the the sounds that you hear are not crying. It is extreme disappointment in himself, in Sherlock, in um, even probably in Mary a little bit, because of course this is something she would do. Um, she believes that Sherlock is important, and and you know she has that natural instinct instinct to save people. Um, however. As a new mother, I cannot imagine that that would be your first response of, I'm going to allow myself to die while my small child was just born. <laughs> but you would, I for thought. For a man for who's a... so abusive to her husband, almost. Right. So uh, it was, you know. A hero I is a hero, though. A hero yeah. is a hero. Yeah. And it's that that last second that last second response, the thing that is automatic that makes you, makes you such. And she was definitely that in this episode. Definitely. And she definitely saw that Sherlock was poking that button and she tried to stop him a couple times, but he wouldn't listen because, well, it's Sherlock. Indeed. Dwayne, what did you think of those, her final scenes or her final life scene, shall we say? Cause we get something a little bit later. It, I mean, it was kind of, I guess, I didn't, I didn't see it coming. Unlike, unlike these guys, I, I think that a lot of times when I'm watching an episode of Sherlock, I just kind of, I, I, I realize everything's important, and yet I don't try and figure it out as it's going along, and just kind of let the story go. And so, you know, we're sitting there, and she pulls the gun, and she's aiming it at Sherlock and I'm just like something's going to happen and she's not going to get a shot off and there's just no way I mean that's not how this how this ends and it does and but obviously the 
the star of the show isn't the one that that takes the bullet. And I guess it's I didn't think too deeply into why she may have stepped in front like that. Um, obviously, she knows that John and Sherlock have this this relationship, and it's really important, even 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 above and beyond, I think maybe even she felt like she had with with Watson, which is which is kind of weird because they're married. But it, it it's it it was it was interesting. It, I didn't see it coming, and it was I think it was very well done. And it just it it kind of it it really makes me wonder how they move forward from this because you know we saw the aftermath of what happened in that scene and and I'm sure you'll talk about it here now but it, it it's very interesting to see how this go, is going to is going to go moving forward Craig um before we get to the aftermath what did you think of her passing Well I thought it was emotional I thought you know very very moving I I just when when she did when she jumped in front of the bullet I I, I, it's kind of a reversal of the old tradition, you know, where the guy always jumps in front of the, the girl to save her from the bullet. And so I thought it was uh, kind of post postmodern, I guess you could say. It's it's one of those things. She was a heroine. She I don't know that she gave a lot of thought to whether she was uh, saving Sherlock or who she was saving. She just she just had that instinct and you have to you have to laud her and the person who wrote it because um, she ended up dying. If she'd just been um, hurt and in the hospital, that would have been a whole different, whole different element. But now we have to give tribute to her and and uh, and grieve with grieve with uh, Watson. I mean, it's just the way it is. And of course, that adds that new dimension. And who knows? We've seen it before. Maybe there'll be a an avatar that comes back of her. It's interesting because, like, I kind of get the feeling that that Mary, w- w- she was like trying to redeem herself because of even even though she was on this special ops team, and I and I think that she had like this, she she kind of didn't feel like she was good enough or something like for Watson or something, and it, and it just kind of, I mean, it it feels like kind of a fitting end or one final redemption sort of thing at the end that that she would do something like that and give her own life to, to, to save somebody else. I got that I don't same know if feeling I'm real, too. No, I, don't, do you I think, agree. Do you, do you think there's going to be a, a flashback of her at some point in the next episode or two? Oh, we'll have flashbacks. I, th- I think so. I, I mean, of her so. doing something that leads up to that, which sound, which I thought might be a, might be an appropriate thing to do. So it wasn't right. just her loss. Yeah, I'd like to see that. The only problem is Sherlock's seasons are so short, and they have so few episodes. It's not like it's going to be something where um, we're going to be, be able to see a lot because they, th- th- while they try to cram a lot into a few episodes, the season isn't long enough for us to see a lot of quote-unquote character development arcs because everything's done in what four episodes i mean last or, season yeah it's real or short. extraneous sort of things like if you have 10 episodes or 24 episodes or something it's easy to take five minutes to show a flashback of something whereas yeah, if, this was if an you're eight doing epi- three episodes yeah if this was an eight episode season i definitely think we would see what craig suggested 
I'm not sure with this being as short of a season as it is that we will. Now, before we get to Sherlock's greatest mission, I want to go back to what Casey touched on at the beginning, which was Watson seeming out of character. Because one of the threads through this episode was that he meets this lady on a bus who gives him his number, her number, and they communicate back and forth, and there's things implied but not necessarily stated that might or might not have happened. And one of the scenes where that also gave me some confusion involving that was he was texting with this other woman at night, and he puts the phone down. Mary comes back from helping the kid or checking on the kid and takes the phone. So it made me wonder if, in sort of going to what Dwayne said, if like her whole thing about she didn't deserve Watson if we're going to see something especially since she shows up at the end with benedict and says i'm giving you your greatest mission to save watson if this woman is not going to factor into that somehow but it felt odd for three quarters of the episode that watson is like having this dalliance with this other woman uh casey am i correct in interpreting what you thought watson was doing oddly or am i completely off base Yes, so Watson was definitely um, moving around his marital priorities, I will say. Um, I don't think (laughs) anything happened in regards to him and E. Uh, That's the initial that we get for her. Um, I think that it was he enjoyed seeing somebody being attracted to him. Um his relationship with Mary has been difficult. Um, You know, she has this whole other life and now they have a baby and um, you know, he doesn't always feel that Sherlock really needs him or wants him. We saw that with the balloon scene where he's like, I haven't even been here for all morning, but you haven't noticed. So I think John is, is, is saying, I feel out of place. I feel unwanted with with all of his close relations and here's e she pops out of nowhere and she's interested she's interested in john um and i think that that was something that he wasn't sure that he wanted to you know act on but he couldn't help himself um so you see the little text messages there at night like luke was talking about um and mary isn't the one that got the phone john picked it up when he went to take the baby back Oh, that was John? Because um, like, I thought yeah, it looked like John. a woman's hand, so, but nope. obviously I can't tell the difference between a woman's <laughs> hand and a hobbit. So, I mean, like, go figure. <laughs> that's that's, that's what a hobbit's hand looks like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so John takes it, which which is important because the way that the conversation was going, he was kind of ending it. Like, uh, the, the conversation for that evening, like, sleep well or have a good night. But then the baby's still up and he's like, oh, well, I'll keep talking. Um, So probably a little bit of flirting, some of that sort of thing. And then when you see him on the bus and he's text messaging her, like, I'm not free. um, I I really thought that that was a very important line that was text. I'm not free. I'm sorry. Because it wasn't I'm not in love. Mm, No, it's a I'm I'm committed to somebody, whatever Mm. that commitment is. And that's the reasoning he's using to tell her it's not going to work. 
And now at the end of the episode, who knows? He is now free. He is not in a relationship anymore as Mary is now gone. But I think that it says a lot about him. But I feel that for Watson, it's so uncharacteristic because he is so loyal. That That's what makes Watson who he is. He is extremely loyal. He is extremely honest. And there, when they're sitting on the couch right before Sherlock text messages them, you can see that he was about to tell her. It was already nagging on him, just conversations via text with this other person. He was going to tell Mary, and he never got the chance. So now I think that that is going to be a very, very strong weight on him, that he was disloyal in his eyes to his wife. And see, your point about it being out of character for him nagged at me as I was watching the episode. His wife is a spy. You expect her to have secrets. Sherlock is someone who always has something up his sleeve and will never give you a straight story until he's, he actually get, gets his great reveal. On one hand, it made it feel out of character. On the other hand, it was like, well, maybe this just makes Watson a little bit more human. Dwayne, what did you think of the Dalians? I don't know what to make of it. I, I, I'm surprised that it, it, it felt like a, a big part to the show and but it wasn't directly related to the story they were telling so i feel like there's definitely something that's going to come of this and i just don't know what it is quite yet and it's it's i i I, you know i don't know if i felt as strongly as uh as casey did that this this isn't something in his moral character that that he would do something like this but i i I don't know. It, it was it, it was definitely interesting, definitely something I wasn't expecting. And I, I'm really interested to know who this this person on the bus was that he was talking to and 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 just how much they talked and and what it's going to lead to, because I I don't think you spend that much time in the episode with it if it doesn't lead to something. See, and I agree with you, because the whole time they were interacting besides the it was it seemed felt out of character i was wondering is this a uh, moriarty plant it just seemed too easy that she would be there and i was like well sherlock's not getting his like great master plan for moriarty maybe this woman on this bus is somehow connected to moriarty craig what did you think of the watson side and what did you think of the woman well you know I I think it's a, re- a reflection of the fact that because Mary has so many secrets that I don't know that, that Watson ever felt that connected to her. I mean, he may have loved her. He may feel compassion for her. But when you, when you, when you have that gap between two people where all the secrets are there and all the, and you never didn't know whether the other person is telling the truth or not. I've experienced this myself. You tend to, put something in reserve, let's say. So you hold back some of your emotions, you hold back some of your feelings. And, uh, you know, a dalliance, I think, is 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 certainly a uh, part of the character, part of the, the situation. If she'd been open and honest, then the relationship would have been better and, and there wouldn't have been that, that desire maybe for someone else to, uh, using an interesting word, validate you, make you feel like you're, you're more than you are. And, 
And obviously it's a setup for something. Everything that's ever done in a TV show is a setup for something, whether it's a bridge or... You're just a cynic, Craig. You're just a cynic. (laughs) I've been watching TV a lot longer than you guys. (laughs) Well, that brings us to... Um, Sherlock's greatest mission he there is a CD uh, that he finds or a disc that he finds and he thinks it's Moriarty he puts it in his computer plays it and it's Mary basically saying this may be your most difficult mission ever it's your um, greatest mission save Watson the scenes were just so hard to watch and when he goes to watson's flat and is told that he doesn't want to to be seen by the babysitter it was just painful casey do you what did you think of the mission do you think that sherlock is capable of putting watson above himself because ironically as i was watching the episode i thought it's like sherlock has more sympathy and protection like protective instincts for mary than he does for watson what do you think do you think he can do it oh so i i don't know i do believe that sherlock does have a much better connection with mary and so her asking him to do something is going to be very difficult for him to be able to take a step back because john doesn't need him right this moment or doesn't want him um, I, I don't know if he will be able to step back for John, um, which will probably cause a bit of a ruckus. Um, I do believe that something big will happen that will have to bring them back together. But, um, I think this is going to be very difficult for Watson because he's already done that. Um, he's already had to forgive Sherlock and, um, i I don't know how long it will take Watson to be able to to actually do that, to forgive Sherlock again, um, especially right now, because he's not just mad at Sherlock. He's mad at Mary. He's mad at himself. Um, and this is kind of a little bit of a more difficult part because he's already gone through the emotional feelings of losing Sherlock prior, even though he really didn't. Uh, but now for losing Mary, he, he really has. Dwayne, can he do it? He's the great Sherlock yeah. Holmes. I I would think I think it's going to end up being kind of a a civil truce, not dissimilar to how they ended up back together after after the staged death of Sherlock earlier in the series. It, it was it's it's just uh, I think they're going to come back together with regards to the story, but I yeah, it's it's one of those things where I mean he's hurt and so he's it's going to take a lot of time and 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 I don't know that that Sherlock is capable uh, I guess of stepping back in a way that that would allow for that to happen kind of the way it needs to happen I mean it's it's interesting because at the same time I I, I have conflicting thoughts about this because we saw throughout the episode that that Sherlock took the vow that he was going to protect Mary and John and the three of them were going to be together and they were going to be safe. He takes that, he took it very seriously. He said it a number of times, he, he really did. But then at the same time, 
I mean, it was him and him doing what he does that ended up causing Mary to end up taking a bullet in the, in the, in the scenes leading up to the end of the episode. So I, I feel like he's probably capable of it, but I just don't know that it's actually going to happen that way, but they are going to get brought together from a, from a story standpoint, they're going to need each other and they're going to end up back together and they're going to end up working together like they did before. But I'm really interested in seeing how that ends up playing out because it's, it's, it doesn't seem like it's going to be a real easy situation the way, the way they've set it up so far. A lot of times in the past, it seems like Sherlock has come in and just sort of glossed over things. Even when Watson's been really upset and they end up being back together because Watson is the better man. Right. Do you think it's a situation where this time Watson's going to demand and expect his pound of flesh? I, I mean, if if not now, it's never going to happen. And so it's it, it, it that's that's why I'm saying it, it's going to be interesting that he's going to really have to. I, I think of like the the toast or something he gave during the the wedding reception that was so almost out of character that it was touching. I think he's going to have to do that level or more to kind of try and repair this friendship that they have because he 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 is uh, in in Watson's eyes very responsible for what happened. Craig, throughout the episode, one of the themes we saw was that Sherlock was busy solving crimes via text, via Twitter, via whatever the case may be on his phone. He had little interest for anything other than the rare moments when he was telling Mary he would protect her. Even when Watson was talking to him, they made the point of having the balloon that was there in this chair with the red balloon with a face on it. And Sherlock didn't even realize Watson had been gone. And he looks over to ask him something and discovers the balloon and he finds out it's been there for hours. Do you think that it's something that Sherlock is even capable of showing the empathy and the understanding for Watson that Watson is going to need? Hell no. He's he's a self-declared sociopath which means the rules don't apply to him. The only way he shows Lot Watson any, it would probably wouldn't be empathy anyway, it would be sympathy because what, you know, Sherlock doesn't feel like other people. So it would be, it would be sympathy. And the only way that Sherlock does those types of things, if is it, if there's some reward for him. So if he feels better about something or himself or, or, um, then, then he, he gets the reward for being sympathetic or uh, as far as, as far as him saving Watts, I don't, I don't see any problem with that because as long as the puzzle is great, Sherlock will be there to solve it or to save, save his, um, you know, I don't like to use the word friend because it's more like Watson is the mipe and takes all the abuse and Sherlock dishes it out. And so, so I'm the Watson in our friendship, Craig, is that it? No, I would put it the other way. <laughs> Remember, you're Sheldon and I'm Leonard. Okay. Uh, oh, okay. Okay. As we no, wrap this there's up, there's no Casey, argument there. I noticed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> final, 
Listen, I listen. I, when it comes to me being Sheldon, I think Craig Woods put it like I'm the love child of what Spock and Sheldon. Spock and Sheldon, so, exactly right. Yeah, I I accept it for what it is. <laughs> uh, Casey, as we're wrapping this up, do you have any final thoughts on the episode or comments about what you're looking forward to in the upcoming episodes? Yeah. So, in regards to this episode, I I don't think that they could have opened this season up any better. Um, right now, I feel like the episode was so good, so moving, so thought-provoking. Yes, thank you. Just say provocative. <laughs> it was wonderful. The The entire episode was just just amazing, like they all are. And now we've gotten to this point at the end of the episode that we now are really at the unknown. Um, there are lots and lots of things that are possibilities that we can think about and, and try to see where they're going. Um, but we really don't know right now. It's just, just open. Um, I am looking forward to the struggle between Watson and Sherlock um, as they figure out their relationship. Um, I think that that is going to be huge. I think it's going to be very emotional um, in a show that, especially as Craig was saying that Sherlock doesn't feel the same way. I think that we're going to get to see a lot of those emotions um, that he doesn't normally get to show um, because I think that we're going to get a chance to see just how important John really means to Sherlock. I also want to say that I really hope that John and this girl from the bus E, I hope nothing comes of it. Um, I don't know. It just makes me mad just thinking about it. So um, that's probably the one thing I want. I don't want that story arc to continue, but I guess we'll see. Do you think that she might have a connection to Moriarty? I think that it might be something. um, I don't know if it's, if it's really there or if it's just happenstance, but I I don't know. I don't like her. And I forgot to ask this. So I'm going to just slip this in here as before I get Dwayne and Craig's final thoughts. Do you have any thoughts on what Mycroft's phone call was? Ooh. No, but Mycroft is... God, he's so shady. I love him. He is. I know. He's. He. He's. I actually sometimes enjoy him more than than Sherlock, just because I feel like I relate as an oldest brother of three younger brothers. Dwayne, final thoughts on the episode, what you're looking forward to the season, and what was Mycroft calling phone call about? I so I had kind of actually forgotten about the phone call, so that's that is definitely something I'm looking forward to. Hopefully, seeing some light shed on as as we progress through this season. I like like Casey. I, I'm looking forward to kind of the development of the story between Watson and Sherlock and how they end up getting back together. This was, I think Craig said this was such a, a good episode, a powerful episode that ended real powerfully. And I don't, I, I I'm really curious to see where this story goes next. And, and it's amazing. It's amazing to me how well these stories are written. And I, I'm really excited to see where this goes next because i i honestly i have no clue at where this goes from here and i but i expect i'm going to really enjoy it wherever wherever it ends up going 
Craig, the tease for the ne- the two other episodes of the season on IMDb. Next week's episode, it says Sherlock faces one of the most chilling enemies of his long career, the powerful and seemingly unassailable Culverton Smith, a man with a very dark secret indeed. And then the final episode of the season is, is called The Final Problem. And it, the description for it says Holmes and Watson travel to Europe to escape Moriarty's vengeance. Final thoughts on the episode, and what are you looking forward to the new season? Do you have a theory about Mycroft? Well, first thing is, it, the interesting part is going to going to be when Watson really realizes that there's nothing that Holmes will ever do or could ever do that will drive him away. The realization that, okay, Holmes is who he is, and he could kill anybody, he could, he could uh, destroy anything, and... Watson's always going to be there. That's isn't there a phrase for that, like a term for that? I can't think of it. Never codependence, mind. maybe. There we go. <laughs> codependent. Yes, there is that. Uh, that basically means you're you are dependent on the other person's emotions, so you will do what it takes to make the other person uh, smile, feel better. You take responsibility for their 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 emotions, basically, and uh, it's so easy to fall into that trap, but. Uh, but Watson is going to be there for him, and and he has to be. He has been historically and fictionally over the course of the existence of of Sherlock. And uh, as far as Mycroft, Mycroft always is always a shadowy figure, and he's always going to have his his thumb in the pie, so to speak. And so I, you know, I look forward to seeing exactly uh, which plum he pulls out. So, uh, Dwayne. Where can people find you on Twitter, and how are things going on the Twitch stream? Twitch stream is going well, and you can, if you're into Hearthstone, definitely check it out. Uh, I stream Mondays and Fridays, 8 p.m. Central Time, at twitch.tv slash majordeath. That's my character in World of Warcraft, or you can find me on Twitter. I'm at dekholm, D-E-C-K-H-O-L-M. Casey, where can people find you? And do you guys have any well-played events coming up that people can learn about? Um, you can find me on Twitter at C-K-E-C-K-H-O-L-M. C-K-E-C-K-H-O-L-M. And in regards to well-played currently for the Convert to Raid Guild um, in World of Warcraft, we don't have any plans up and coming yet. Um, winter in the northern states um, is kind of a thing happening. In the frosty Northland. <laughs> um, so I don't know what I don't know what winter's like anymore. I go outside at like 50 degrees, and I'm like, "Burr, it's cold. I need a sweatshirt <laughs> on." Um, oh. So no, nothing planned yet, but soon, um, probably something in the spring. Um, we just did have a little mini meetup, um, went to an up, um, a barcade in the cities um, in Minneapolis. So that was well, very that cool. Fun. Um, so that was wonderful. Okay. Craig, where can they find you on Twitter? You can find me at, at ZMovieManiac on Twitter. And you might want to check out MovieMadnessPodcast.com for my, my uh, top 10 favorite films of 2016. Which differs from the best and worst movies, which you helped with at geekconfidential.com. We're putting the year-end content on Geek Confidential. You can check that out. The movies posts are up. The comic posts are up. I'm working on the TV posts. And Luke did it, but I helped. 
<laughs> there you go. Pretty much. That's how it works. Also, you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com slash gkconfidential. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash gkconfidential. Be sure to write us a review in iTunes. Those really help us um, get more exposure and have more people find us. As always, you can find me on Twitter as well, which is at Luke underscore Kerr. We thank you for listening. Until next time, so long. Bye, everybody. Ha, <laughs>